Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. It's this motivation, the stirring in your heart because things aren't going the way you want or you didn't win the argument or or they're not doing what you thought they should do or that person didn't deserve this and you deserve that. Uh, You want things but you do not have them. You do not get what you want because you do not ask God or when you ask, you do not receive because the reason you're asking is wrong. Have you ever been in a situation that was bad, but you didn't recognize at first how bad it really was? Probably most of us can think of some situation like that. How long did it take you to recognize the situation? What did you do once you did recognize the problem? Okay, yes, there's temptations out there. We know Satan will use those temptations, but realize that this is about you. This is about what's within you and the possibility within you to give in to what you should not give in to if you're a follower of Christ. Hello and welcome to this week's Crosswalk. Today we're moving into Chapter 4. Of the New Testament book of James. If you've been with us through our series, Building on the Basics, you know that James doesn't have time to beat around the bush. He is direct and confrontational on the issue of faith and what is real and what is fake. James is going to throw us up under the bus. He's going to get on the bus and drive over us and put it in reverse and back over us again. Well, as you're going to hear Pastor Clay say in just a moment, it turns out that James was being nice. In chapter 4, James calls it like he sees it. And what he sees is people who were, as James puts it, committing spiritual adultery. People claiming this faith, this belief in this God who has supposedly redeemed them, but then they're living a life that doesn't look redeemed. Pastor Clay is going to walk us through this powerful passage today and give us some practical steps to take once we recognize that things are not good. Now here's Pastor Clay. Does y'all's life, y'all ever have any bumps in the road or is it all just like smooth sailing? (laughs) See, y'all laugh because you know, right? Right? It's life. It's life. So the church, we can, we can laugh at it. We can say it's all right. It's okay. It's all good. (laughs) Hey, uh, uh, we have been uh, making our way through the book of James, right? If if you've been with us, we're doing this series called Building on the Basics and uh, we're looking at... uh, the letters of the New Testament that are sometimes referred to as the, the general letters or the general epistles, the word is sometimes used. We're looking, we're, we're going to walk through all of those except for the book of Hebrews. That's another time. But, uh, and we're pulling out uh, kind of central themed ideas from those letters. For instance, right now we started with the letter or the book of James in the New Testament. Uh, and there's kind of this uh, central theme about faith and the idea of acting on our faith, right? If you've been in this series, you've seen that a number of times. Uh, when we uh, when we finish with James, uh, which would just be a couple more weeks probably, when we finish with James, we'll go in, we'll do First and Second Peter in, in this theme of hope. And when we finish with that, we'll go into First, Second, and Third John in the theme of love. And when we finish that, we'll go into Jude in the theme of judgment. <laughs> As somebody, say, say, somebody was saying to me, like, man, that's, that's weird. Faith, hope, love, judgment. <laughs> But you know what? That, that is part of the basics of a belief in, in God and understanding that, that, that the attributes of God, this, this, this limitless love and grace and mercy and the hope that he brings to us and, and all these kind of things are true, but also understanding that this God is a God of holiness and righteousness and that there is a judgment that God says that we're accountable for our, the lives that he's given to us. And, and so that's, that's part of the basics. So don't skip 
Jude when we get there, all right? Be, be here for that as well. But we've been in James. And one of the things that we've seen in James, if you've been with us in this series, one of the things we've seen in James is that James, he just doesn't pull any punches. He's just like smacking you upside the head. Constantly, y'all, y'all know what I'm saying? If y'all been reading, going through James with me, that he, he just doesn't, he doesn't apologize for what he says. He doesn't try and sugarcoat it. He's just like, bam, bam, bam. Like, and I was telling somebody earlier that, that uh, working through the books of James is, is difficult for me. I love what I get to do and I, and I love saying, but in one sense it's kind of hard because, uh, because I was schooled uh, by, a, by a preaching professor who told me that the, what I always want to try and do is what he called God-centered preaching instead of do-better preaching, which you hear a lot. A lot of preachers do do-better do preaching. Do-better preaching just hammers on you and says, you ought to be doing this and you ought to be doing that and you're not doing that right and you're not... Y'all know what I'm saying? Y'all, are, y'all ever walked out of a, a service and like, huh. <laughs> right? You ever been beat up? Is it, that's kind of do better preaching. And, and rather than, than, than helping you to focus on God and saying, look what God has done. Look what God can do. Look who God is. God-centered preaching. I love uh, to try and make sure that it's God-centered preaching. But in the midst of that, you come across books like the book of James, the letter of James, and while I want you to understand that this is God and God does this work and all this stuff, but James is like all up in our faces about what of an authentic, genuine, real faith looks like, right? We saw it in chapter 1, we saw it in chapter 2, we saw it in chapter 3, just bam, bam, bam. Well, it turns out that was James being nice. Because in chapter 4, James, James is going to throw us up under the bus. He's going to get on the bus and drive over us and put it in reverse and back over us again. Now listen, I, I don't really mean to make James sound like the, the, the bad guy here. James is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which means that he is writing to us exactly, listen to me, exactly what God wants us to hear. Every single one of you in this room today. What you hear, and by the way, it it may be something totally different than the main theme. It's amazing what God will do. But what you hear from the book of James is exactly what God wants you to hear at this moment in your life for for whatever's going on in in your life. So I I don't mean to make James the, the bad guy here. James, listen to me, loves the church, the the body of Christ, loves it. But you know what? You know, I've discovered it's a biblical truth. I've discovered it as a parent. I haven't discovered it as a grandparent yet. But sometimes love has to be tough. I am a cream puff as a grandparent, I'll tell you. But, but, but sometimes love has to be tough. And James is tough, man. He's tough. But James understands. And I know I, I, this has come up several times. I've said this several times. Clearly, you read through the book of James, James sees a problem in the church. He sees... He sees people uh, saying one thing and living another. He sees people claiming this faith, this belief in this, in this God who has uh, supposedly redeemed them, but then they're living a life that doesn't look redeemed. Do you understand what I'm saying? They, there, there's no change. There's no difference. There's no whatever all that should look like for each person. There, there, there's nothing there. And, and James sees that as a, as a problem. And, and it is a problem. I can tell you, after, after pastoring for more than 20 years, I can tell you that's a problem in the church today. I think I mentioned this uh, even fairly recently, that one of the things that I've noticed within the culture of the church uh, is that there, there, has, 
there seems to be this belief that I can separate my theology from my morality. I said that a few weeks ago, I think. That, in other words, I, I can believe in God, and yet I can live my life. I don't have to live my life the way he would want me to live my life. And James is saying, are you insane? So, I mean, he, he's, he's bringing it. I'm just telling you. I'm just forewarning you. Uh, but but he, he loves the church. He cares about the church. He's passionate about the church as I am. And he desires to see the body of Christ, you and me, those of us who have professed faith in Christ, he desires to see us be all that we can be in Christ. Okay? James chapter 4. Open your Bibles there. O- open your phone app. Open your iPad app. Text will be up on the screen. Verses 1 through 10 this morning, and we'll see if we get uh, all the way through it or not, but let's, let's look at it. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Say, here, say this with me. Say, yay, James. Yay, James. All right. <laughs> all right, here we go. Listen. Listen to what he says now. He's, and if you've been with us through the study, you know this. He's just kind of continuing on the same theme. He, he may bring it up in different ways or whatever, but it, it's, he's bringing up this, kind of the same theme. He says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source of your pleasures that wage, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Remember, he's writing to the church. He's writing to people who profess a belief in Jesus Christ. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. So that you may spend it on your pleasures. There's that word again. You, I'm sorry, what's that next word? (laughs) I don't know if I can say that or not. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself and, say it, enemy of God. Or do you think that the scriptures speak to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Pray with me this morning. Father, uh, as we take uh, a few moments here this morning to look at this passage of scripture, I don't know exactly how far we'll get in it, but wow, it's uh, James just just brings it and, and it's hard sometimes. Uh, to hear, and when I think about the fact that he's writing to people who uh, profess to be followers of Jesus, and and I suspect in this room that would include most of the people in this room. Most of us would probably profess that we've already accepted Jesus Christ, our personal Savior. And to think that James is writing this and saying this uh, to us and and about us uh, ought to be sobering, as he says. It, it, it's 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 a time for serious reflection and evaluation on uh, on this faith that we profess to have. So uh, just as always, uh, I just want you to know, uh, truly, I'm always grateful to be your messenger boy. Would you take uh, the words that are in your uh, word, would you take them into my heart and my life 
as you've prepared me and communicate it effectively to each person where they are in each place in their life. Life is hard. Life is a mess. Life is a turmoil. Sometimes life is smooth sailing. Sometimes it's rough seas. Sometimes we don't know what's going to happen next. Uh, but through all of it, you are faithful and you are good. And you want us to understand this. There, there's a lot at stake here, Father. And we realize that or we should realize that. There's a lot at stake here. So God, uh, have your will and your way in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. There's a few things that I'd like to point out that we need to recognize from uh, James chapter 4 and verses 1 through 10. Uh, Let's look at the first one. It looks like this. Recognize the condition that you are in. Uh, First thing, right off the bat, you need to recognize the condition that you are in. As I said, James is writing to people who are part of the body of Christ or have professed to be part of the body of Christ. And he's pointing out, hey, we've got an issue here. There's a problem here. I'm I'm hearing uh, this profession of faith, but I'm not seeing uh, a a change in your life. I'm not seeing things that that would be representative of a life given to God and surrendered to him. And and, and so there's this this problem here that we need to, to work on. And it begins with recognizing your condition. So, in the first part of... Verse 1, he says this. He says, do you know where your fights and arguments come from? He asks us a question. It is a question that he does not need us to answer because he is going to answer it for us. Do you know where your fights and arguments come from? That's in the the NCV. Now, listen, it could be be fights and, and quarrels and arguments in the church. Sadly, that happens way too much in, in, in many churches. It could be fights and arguments and quarrels within your marriage, within the family, within the family structure. It could be fights and quarrels uh, in the marketplace, in your workplace. And, And I think we all understand this. He's not necessarily talking about, you know, the occasional argument with your spouse. That happens, right? The, the, the misunderstanding, the, the, you know, hurt feelings. or you know, It's not necessarily talking about that. That happens, right? That happens at workplace. It happens in the home. It happens in the church. Misunderstandings, hurt feelings. He said that. She did this. That, you know, it's, it's not necessarily talking about that. Some of that stuff happens. What he's talking about is this, this spirit of contention and just, just argumentative and just this is a constant thing that you see maybe in a church, maybe in a, in a home, in a family, in a marriage. In a, that, that this is, that you see this going on. And he says, hey, do you know where that comes from? And then he answers the question for us. They come from the selfish desires that war within you. Oh, what, what you really mean is they come from the selfish desires of my husband. <laughs> yes but also from you. They come from the selfish desires that war within you. This is, you need to understand this is where you are. And, and by the way, in the, uh, in the NCV there, you see it says selfish desires. When I read the New American Standard a minute ago, it uh, used the phrase or uh, the word pleasures. Um, just a little grammatical lesson here for you. Uh, in, the, in the New Testament, the New Testament, most of you know, may understand this, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, uh, it was the language of, of the common man in, that, in the known world at that time. So it was written in Greek. In the Greek, the word that translated pleasures or selfish desires is, uh, is uh, hedonon or hedonon, 
from which we get the word hedonist or hedonism, which uh, some of you may know, and a hedonist is a person who, who basically lives for pleasure, that it's all about the pleasure. Whatever fleshly pleasures I can experience in my life, that's what it is. That's what I want. That's what I care about. That's the only thing I care about. I don't care who I hurt. I don't care what I have to pay. I don't have to care whatever, that it's all about pleasure. Now, James is not necessarily talking about that person here, but what he's talking about is that that fleshly desire that dwells in every single one of us. Uh, there's none of us in this room want to call ourselves hedonists, and I'm not saying that we're practicing hedonism, but, 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 it, but it's that, that inward fleshly desire. It is what, what's sometimes referred to as the sin nature that dwells within, within us. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The sin, by the way, the sin nature is the reason why you have to teach your toddler to share. Because not sharing, not caring about the other person, being possessive comes naturally. Sharing does not. The sin nature is the reason why somebody you work with lies so that they can get the promotion that you deserve. It's, it's the sin nature that, that exists within us and this fleshly desire that that is part of who we are. And, and, and you and I need to recognize this condition that we are in, that, it, that it's a reality of each one of us. And he's, so he goes on and he says um, in uh, verse, I think it's verse 2, he goes on, he says, but each one is tempted when he is carried. Oh yeah, this is back in chapter 4, I meant to bring this up. Uh, this is an idea that James has brought up before, back in chapter 1. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts. So uh, James is saying, listen, recognize, okay, yes, there's temptations out there, and, and we know Satan will use those temptations, but, but remember or, or realize that, that this really is, this is about you. This is about what's within you and the, and the possibility within you to give in to, to what you should not give in to if you're a follower of Christ, what, what God would desire for you and, and how that should be different. Okay, and so then uh, he, he goes on in first part of verse 2, he says, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. Those are strong words, pretty strong words. And by the way, this is a problem sometimes because, because a person reads that and they say, well, clearly James is not talking about me. I've never murdered anybody. But do y'all remember a little teaching that Jesus does where he talks about what, what, you, what you grapple with or what you, what you let go on in your heart makes you guilty of the, of the sin? Y'all remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So, go ahead, Tyler. In, in verse 2 and 3, I'm going to read it again, this time for the NCV. You want things, but you do not have them. So you're ready to kill and are jealous of other people. That's really kind of the idea here. It's this, this motivation, the stirring in your heart. Because things aren't going the way you want, or you didn't win the argument, or, or they're not doing what you thought they should do, or, or that person didn't deserve this and you deserve that. Uh, you want things, but you do not have them. So you're ready to kill and are jealous of other people, but you still cannot get what you want. So you argue and fight. You do not get what you want because you do not ask God. Or when you ask, you do not receive because the reason you're asking is wrong. You want things so you can use them for your own pleasures. James says, oh, and by the way, even when you try and bring God in it, you've got the wrong motives because it's still about you. God, I just want to pray for my husband right now that he would carry the trash out every week like he's supposed to. I don't know, whatever it would be. It's just like, what is the motivation of our heart? We do. You need to understand. James says you need to understand your condition. That really this, this, this starts with you and this, what is 
the potential within you. Now, is the person James is describing here, are they a person who is saved or not saved? Are they, are they a person in the body of Christ or not in the body of Christ? Throughout this letter, James has been very careful to let that person assess for themselves their own spiritual condition. But he clearly spells out that this type of behavior does not belong in the body of Christ. You with me? There's no place for it in the body of Christ. And apparently, clearly, this was going on. James sees this kind of stuff happening in people who profess a faith, but don't seem to possess a faith. And James calls it, if we've seen in other chapters, it's fake. It's dead. It's not living. It's not a real faith. You have to recognize the condition that you're in. I, I, um, I apologize in advance. I don't like uh, talking a lot about uh, my, my motorcycle accident, but uh, it's, it's been a little over a year now. But because it, it's been such a consuming part of uh, our lives, uh, really all of our lives for the last uh, year, just a little over a year, um, I, when, when, I, when I had my accident, you know, when, when we had our accident, Ed Alexander was following behind me, and he had to put his bike over to keep from getting in the wreck, and he was injured, uh, and Steve Pierce was behind him, and um, he wasn't uh, injured, and he pulled his bike over to the side. But when, when, when I got done flipping and flying, whatever all I was doing, and I, I came, I, I can remember, you know, I'm like sliding on my back. I can remember that. And I can remember in the corner, you know, I'm like, like this, but I can remember seeing, you know, there's my bike over there. I've told you all this story before. It's my hero, Steve Pierce. Uh, even though he didn't get the $25 gift card to Toys R Us, he's still my hero because because the motorcycle slid to a stop right over here, you know, it's on, and it's on fire, it's burning, and uh, people are yelling to to move me because because uh, it's on fire, and other people are yelling, "Don't move him, he's hurt." And uh, and uh, Steve, my hero, he jumps in between me and the bike, and and uh, he's a uh, yeah, Steve, Steve's my hero. And so, but he says, and this is my terrible South African accent, but he says, he says, it'll be all right, pasta. It's gonna be all right, pasta. It's gonna be all right. It's gonna be all right. And he stood between me and the, me and the fiery motorcycle and it, yes you were right it was it was so <laughs> so uh, in that moment here's what i'm saying in that moment okay i knew i had been in a wreck right and i knew i was hurting um but you know maybe part of it's shock part of what you just you know there's a lot of things going on and people are running everywhere and they're cutting clothes off of you and you know all this and so i knew i was hurt i knew i was injured that kind of stuff after they get me into the ambulance and uh the emt is radioing in name and age and vital signs and all that stuff. And then I hear him say, possible, probable amputation. And when I, and I still remember when I heard it, when I heard him say that, that's when like, oh, oh, this is life changing. That's when I realized for the first time, I think really in in all that mess, that's the first time I realized really the condition that I was in. Spiritually speaking, you and I have to do the same thing. We have to evaluate the condition that we are in and recognize that because there's a lot at stake here. Obviously, a person's personal salvation and making sure that they know they're in right relationship with God, but also the very reputation of the church is at stake because, because people can't see Jesus today, right? He's not walking around in, in person alive. He's not healing people and doing miracles and exhibiting his power alive on this earth right now, Right? So how do people that don't have a relationship with Christ, how do they see Christ? Is it not through the lives of those who profess Christ to see the change in our lives, see the difference in our lives, and they are attracted to that change in our lives or that difference that Christ makes in our lives? And so that becomes vitally important. We have to recognize it. Look at in uh, Romans chapter 8, Apostle Paul says this, if you do what your sinful old selves want you to do, 
you'll die in sin. You're, you're, ju- you're, just, you're living in sin. You're exhibiting sin. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit, and there's the key. I've said this a bazillion times throughout the years in my ministry. It's not about you being a better person. not about you cleaning up your act. It's not about you, you know, being more peaceful or patient or loving. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through each of us to accomplish this. You destroy those actions to which the body can be led. If you do that, you will have life. It, 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 you're, you're substantiating. Same, he's saying the same thing James is. You're substantiating that you have this life in Christ. And it's changed. Another verse maybe you're familiar with, more familiar with Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's not, a, it's not you think you can come in and sing the songs and, you know, do all that and li- we lift our hands, but, but this, this submitting your life, this, that's, that's your true worship, uh, to offer your bodies. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be, what's it say? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is, this, is what, this is the transformation that takes place, that ought to take place in our lives. But here's the problem. As uh, Ron Lee Davis says in his commentary in the book of Romans, here, here's what he says. He says, the problem with the living sacrifice is that it keeps getting up off the altar. And that's us. That's what happens to us, right? In, in some moment of, of, of spiritual, you know, confession and, and all sincerity, God, I, I want to be a living sacrifice to you. God, I want to live for you. God, I, I, I want... I want people to see you in me. But then something happens, some circumstance, some event, some whatever, and, and we get up off the altar again. So, uh, so we have to begin to recognize the condition that we are in, okay? All right, here's the uh, second idea uh, today. We have to recognize the consequence you face. Look at uh, verse 4. Well, let's read it up on the, on the screen. You adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously, when it says, he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Wow. Wow. James James is cut right out of the mold, the fabric of an Old Testament prophet. He, he fits the mold of uh, old-time evangelists. If any of y'all, if you grew up in church, you used to have old-time evangelists come around. Because they don't, they don't care who they offend. They don't care who they make mad. They make no apologies for what they're saying. They're ju- they, just, they just boom. Because that, that, I mean, that's, that's James. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world makes you an enemy with God. Holy hand grenade, Batman. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? That means there is no in-between. That means there is no kind of a Christian. There is no casual Christianity. There is, I sort of believe, there is no, there's none of that. There's none of that. Jesus is either, it's either all in or you're not in. And again, I've said this before, he's not talking about 
perfection. He's not talking about you getting every single situation right. But he's talking about us being changed as a result of this relationship with Christ, changed in a way that we are never the same again. And there's no part way, there's no halfway, there's no little bit in, there's no, uh, to, to, to borrow a term from Earl Smooter with a little bit of an edit, you can't ride two horses with one behind, sugar bean. You can't be, well, yeah, I'm kind of, yeah, Jesus, oh, yeah, Jesus. And then, and then you know, oh, well, I, I want, you can't, you can't do it. You, you can't do it. Um, some of you might know the name Bob Harrington. Um, he's, an el- he's an elderly man. I think he's still alive. He's an elderly man. He's got to be up in his late 80s or early 90s now. Bob Harrington, uh, for many years, was known as the chaplain of Bourbon Street. He had an evangelistic ministry in New Orleans, and really it ended up going all around the world. People wanted him to speak everywhere, and and God used him in a tremendous, fantastic way. Thousands of people came to Christ under his ministry, and and he just, you know, God just used him in in a remarkable way. In the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, he really was at the height of his popularity. Uh, Then in the 19, I believe it's in the 1980s, uh, Bob Harrington basically walked away from his faith. He, uh, he, he engaged in a, uh, uh, an adulterous relationship with another woman, ran off with another woman, uh, divorced his wife, and, and just, just disappeared for a decade. Just lived his life, did his thing, d- didn't care what, whatever else went on. So, so if, you, if you don't think this can happen, or if you don't think that, you know, well, what I do, it's not, I'm telling you, it, this, this is serious. Now, I want to say this to you, the the good news, at least, is, is that uh, about 10 years later, God got a hold of Bob Harrington. God didn't give up on Bob Harrington. He kept pursuing God, Bob Harrington, and eventually brought him back, and he came into his faith. And his ministry was never the same. Let's be honest with you, his ministry was never the same again. But he was able to reconcile with his, with his daughters and, and, um, and, his, and has still had some type of ministry uh, up until the last few years. He has dementia now, from what I understand. But, but, but it's, it's spiritual adultery, to think you can be friends with the world. And now I'll explain a little bit about that, hopefully, in a minute or, or next week. But, but just, just for clarification, in verse 5, when he says, or do you think that the Scriptures speak to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Just so you guys know, a little bit of uh, uh, debate on how verse 5 is translated. Uh, some people believe that the word spirit, y'all see that in verse 5? The word spirit uh, in the Greek, it's pneuma. It, it's not capitalized, you know, in the Greek language, it's not necessarily capitalized. So uh, the question has always been, is it talking about our spirit, who we are as a person, or is it talking about the spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit? There are people that believe that, uh, that verse 5 is saying that God desires for our spirit to, to want him and to, to desire him and to, to come to him. That's certainly not a, a wrong translation, by the way, certainly not not wrong with that. Others believe, and I would tend to put myself in this camp, that he's referring to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that it's the Holy Spirit who desires this relationship with, desires for us to come to him that actually pursues us, that is this Holy Spirit who does this, this work in us and pursues after us. The Holy Spirit, listen, I, I, maybe we don't think of this in terms of, uh, we don't think of God this way. The Holy Spirit, I believe James is saying, is jealous over us. The way any, any husband or wife would be jealous if their spouse suddenly became attracted to someone else. 
God is jealous for us in that way. And I believe that's what Scripture speaks to us as he says there. That that's the story that we find in Scripture. That God is pursuing. God is pursuing. God is pursuing. Not because he needs it, but because we can't get by without it. This relationship with him. It's how he's created us. What he's created us for. I know we people can live lives. and People live, do live their lives and they think they're fine without God. But this idea that God desires this relationship with us. I think you find it throughout Scripture. In, in the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, who went looking for who? God went looking for Adam and Eve. Not because he didn't know where they were. It's the symbolism of God pursuing Adam and Eve. They were hiding from him. And God comes to them. All through the Old Testament, the story of the Israelites, right? You know, oh God, you're our God. We, we love you. We believe in you. And then they run off and they do something else. And it was God who was constantly wooing them back, drawing them back to himself. They'd have this relationship with him. It was God. It was God who did this thing. It was God who, as it says in Galatians chapter 4, it was God who sent forth his son. Not, not anything, it was God who sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might be, receive the adoption as sons. God did. I, I know, I, listen, I know in my own life, looking back at it, I can think of times and, and instances and places where looking back I can see God was pursuing me. I wasn't pursuing God, and I was doing my thing, living my life, do whatever, whatever I liked. I was, I was rich in, in indulging in whatever I wanted in my life. But praise God, Ephesians chapter 2, but God being rich in mercy, God did this work. God came and did this thing in my life. God pursues us. But here's the deal, here's the deal, and then we'll, we'll come to an end with this. Here's the deal. God loves us. I believe God pursues us, but God will not share us. He will not share us with the world. Now, just for clarification, touch on this briefly, and then we'll bring it to a close. James says, friendship with the world. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So the question is, what is, what is friendship with the world? Y'all are wondering that, right? I hope y'all are wondering that. <laughs> it's really bad if you're not wondering that. What? Because what, that what? What is friend? That's that's why I was, I was going through this text and I was studying this text over and over again. I kept thinking, what is friendship with the world? How do you define that? Is that what is it? Just, just for, I, I I do not believe that James is saying that that you can't love and enjoy God's creation. I don't think he's saying that that you can't enjoy relationships with friends and families and. And, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I don't think that James is saying that a nice car or a nice home or a nice vacation is wrong. I, I, that wouldn't jive with the rest of Scripture. I, I don't believe that's what James is saying. I don't, I don't think having possessions, being wealthy, and let me say this, there is a sense, living in America, all of us are wealthy. If you, if you go to, to most of the rest of the world you will find out how incredibly wealthy you are. There's a sense that all of us are, are wealthy. I, don't, I, don't, I do not believe that having wealth or having things, that, that's not what he's saying. That it's not necessarily that having those things is, is wrong. Here's the problem. Here's the problem that, that God would have with this. It's whether those things have us. Not whether we have things, but do those things have us. In other words, when, when, the, when the focus of my life, when the priority of my life, when the uh, when the, the, the 
primary desire of my life is someone or something or anything other than him, that's, that's when God says, as the eagles say, you're heading for the cheating side of town. That's when you're beginning to engage in spiritual adultery. Because you're saying that you love me, that you're devoted to me. But then why are you over here chasing this and thinking that... that, And listen, I know this is not easy, right? We're surrounded by the trinkets and trappings of the world. And very few people are are choosing this path that God has for us. So I'll talk more about that next week. But I, I know it's not easy. But God will not share us with the world. Friendship with the world... No, it doesn't mean you can't have stuff. But it means that, that God has you. That the desire of your life is to honor him, to walk with him. Realizing that we're, none of us are going to get it right every time. Next week I'll give some specifics that James lays out of, of, of the steps that we can take and how we can ensure that, that our faith is authentic and genuine and that we are on, on the right path. But just, just, just know this, that what he's saying is, is that y- you, can't, you can't play between the two. You can't kind of believe you can't have a sort of belief uh, that that it's that it's christ or it's not christ well as we've seen throughout this study in james nothing is held back as pastor clay explained several times james sees a problem in the church there is a sense of urgency in his words each person needs to evaluate their faith in light of god's call for action as one of his followers obviously being accused of committing spiritual adultery is a sobering charge as james declares it is not a time for laughter but of mourning and serious contemplation of our relationship with god james tells us exactly what we need to do in this battle between the Spirit of God and our own flesh. We may not be perfect, but with God's power working in us, we can have victory and God can have the glory. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable to every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. Cross-Culture Church. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're searching for. Cross-Culture Church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed.
Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.